Hello, welcome to the Bright Club Southampton podcast. Uh, I am your host, Dave Christensen. Thank you for joining us again. Or thank you for coming along if this is your first time listening to the podcast. Uh, so, well, I'll, I'll just give a bit of an intro to what Bright Club is first. Um, so we put on a comedy night roughly every three months or so, uh, where we have researchers or academics, or often just people who are interested in those subjects and aren't necessarily academics themselves. And uh, we get them to do a bit of stand-up comedy about their chosen subject. And it's a fun comedy night. Uh, and then, for the podcast, we get them back in, and we get them to talk to each other and find out a bit more about each other and a bit more about their subjects and uh, and what makes them tick, really. Um, just to get into the minds of academics. They're scary places. So, this week on the podcast... We have uh, Dr. Nick Percival uh, interviewing Andrea Ravagli. I am almost certainly not pronouncing his surname correctly. I am sorry, Andrea. Uh, so Andrea is a glass scientist uh, with a background in chemistry. Um, but I won't explain what he's doing because I can't. And he would do a much better job of it. So... Um, yeah, I won't ramble any longer, and uh, yeah, I'll leave it to Andrea and Nick. So, just to introduce myself, I'm a glass scientist. So yeah, no one knows what a glass scientist is, but our population counts 200 people, and we're about to be protected by Greenpeace. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Hi. So one of the things you, you mentioned in your, um, in your set was coming over as an international student to Scotland yeah. and the culture shock, or you talked a little bit about the culture shock. And I just, um, I've been an international student myself a couple of times, and I just wondered what, um, what made you decide to study outside of of Italy why did you just pick Scotland <laughs> and what, what was it that drew you out what made you make that okay. choice so I studied my bachelor in Italy and as you may know there's a European project called Erasmus with which you can travel around Europe yeah. and you can get financial support from the EU to, to travel so the options were either Spain Poland or Edinburgh and to me due to the fact that I really wanted to improve my English and to the fact that the University of Edinburgh was particularly good for what I was studying, I decided to go there. I don't regret to have been to Scotland at all, even though, as I mentioned, the accent was a bit hard at the <laughs> beginning. But, yeah. Yeah, I remember I, I studied in Scotland my undergraduate degree and, and certainly the, the accent was the first thing. <laughs> Even coming from, the, from England, the accent was the first thing you had to get your head round. Yeah, actually, when I moved to Southampton, I felt exactly the same in the sense that once I got the habit to hear a Scottish accent, then the British accent, especially from south of England, was quite hard to understand. So actually, you've had that sort of double translation moment of trying to learn a language and then having to relearn it in another part of the country. I felt 
learning a language and learning an accent are two different things. <laughs> did you have, because um, I remember being an international student myself, did you ever have that moment, sort of that internal translator moment, where you went from translating in your head to actually thinking in your head? Yeah, absolutely, yes. So the very beginning was quite hard and getting into conversations with a lot of people was quite hard because my brain worked in Italian, let's say. So everything was from English to Italian, and then I understood. So I had to think in Italian, then translate in English, <laughs> and then speak, okay? Whereas with the time and a lot of practice, you, I can just think in English now. I, I know it's, it sounds a bit weird, but we are, I, I feel like I actually have languages in my brain and I sometimes feel I have different feelings, diff I feel different emotions according to the language I'm thinking with. <laughs> no, uh, that's no, I get more that. for yeah. psychologists probably. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I had an awful moment where I, where I was um, in Norway and I had some friends that I'd made when I was in Switzerland and I was trying to translate for them because they didn't speak Norwegian. Mm -hmm. And I ended up speaking Norwegian to my French-speaking friends and French to the Norwegian guy behind the counter that I was yeah, trying to Yeah, it can to be confusing, yes. <laughs> Your head doesn't work that way. There's, like, too much in there. Yeah. <laughs> so, the glass science. So, my, the glasses I'm researching are actually very interesting because, as you may know, a glass is a glass because it's transparent. But my glass in particular is transparent for both visible light, so colors and what we see, and infrared light. So this can be very good for integrating normal cameras, normal digital cameras, with thermal cameras, night vision cameras, so that from two cameras we just have one. And this is very useful for some professions like Soldiers, yes, it says soldiers, I know, but don't get scared. And, but just to give you an idea, a soldier has to carry day and night two cameras just to see in both day and night. And that can be tens of kilograms sometimes. Therefore, that would simplify their life a lot. I guess one of my questions is, so you are translating in your head and learning two different accents. And on top of that, it sounds like you decided to study the most difficult slash impossible type of thing. You were talking about amorphous liquid-like material mm -hmm. and you explained in your set amorphous means random. So how do you study something that's completely random? <laughs> that's a challenge actually. So let's say when I said random, it was not completely true there's still a, li a, bit, a little bit of logic because nature doesn't work randomly. <clears throat> so some, some behaviors of classes can be predicted, but not fully. So whereas for a crystal, uh, a single measurement can give a bunch of information you can then use to do simulations or work out how to manufacture a big piece of, I don't know, this material. With glass, you need a lot of techniques combined together to have all the complementary information you need to then say, yes, I'm right saying this. So I, I hope this explains why it's a bit difficult. Yeah. So, so that's, and is that because you're just drawn to doing the hard thing? Or was it, did you, is that, why, um, you, why didn't you go for crystals? They sound easier. <laughs> 
Yeah, they sound easier, absolutely. So, I'm a very curious person and I always try to get over my boundaries. So, over my degrees in chemistry, starting from high school, my high school was focused in chemistry. So, I started studying chemistry when I was 14 years old and I just studied chemistry, well, more or less. And despite 10 years of studies, no one ever taught me glass. So, I thought, yeah, I need to go for that because no one told me and I want to, I'm curious I want to be to have the most complete package of information of knowledge I can so, so you're trying to fill in that gap exactly yeah I know what that because like when I was doing history at school they taught you 1066 or William the Conqueror and then they moved forward to the first world war I was like there's a bit in the middle there I really yeah. want to know about so I get that <laughs> if you've got like just 200 people studying glass around, glass scientists around the world, was sort of doing Bright Club your way of trying to get off your desert island of just 200 people and, 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 and spread the word of, of glass science? Well, yeah, it would be good to expand a little bit our community, which maybe 200 is a bit underestimated. It's a few hundreds of people, okay? Um, my, I believe glasses are not fully understood by researchers in the first place, but I also believe, according to my experience, that no one ever asked what glass is made of. They all say sand, yeah, but there are many other type of glasses, not necessarily made with sand. And generalizing saying, oh, glass equals sand, it doesn't sound right to me. So Bright Club is actually a good opportunity to get out there your, your research. And I felt like, it was my duty to do this because no one is even thinking about glass at the moment. And with glass we can do so many things we don't even we don't even realize we use daily. Because yeah. I was, I have to admit, I, I came away from your set and I felt like I'd actually learned something about glass and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so I was thinking, well, you mentioned in your set the possibility of using what you're working with with cameras, are there other things that you, you're thinking of or experimenting with or trying to see what they can be used with? There are, yes. So with glass you can make optical fibers, as you may know. And just to give you an example, optical fibers made internet as fast as we have internet now. But we, you can also make a laser. So I'm currently working on making a laser. And there are many other applications in telecommunications, especially. So my background is not quite in telecommunications, so I'm, I'm stopping where my knowledge about <laughs> telecommunication begins. So I try my best to understand how, from a materials point of view, I can help someone else building a device. But yeah, th those are the, the main things you can do with glass. And it really, it really depends on what technology you want to develop. Some technologies need a given material which could be completely different from another technology which could sound similar but is not quite. Okay, so why did I decide to join a, such a small community? So this brings me, me, brings me back to when I moved to the UK, when I moved from Italy to Scotland. Right. I, I'm not sure you're laughing because my accent is very thick or because I moved to Scotland, but yeah. Okay, so I went to Edinburgh 
and I remember it was August, okay? And it was fringe time. Everyone knows the fringe, and August can be quite pleasant in Edinburgh. And so I had the magnificent idea to go to a pub and have a pint. So the weather was surprisingly good, it was actually sunny, I couldn't believe it. And so I said, well, as long as the sun is, the sun is here, let's enjoy it. So I asked for a pint, for a beer in a plastic cup. Then the bartender looked at me like it was a criminal, and the bumper wanted to make huggies out of me. Okay, so that was scary. But I still, I'm still not sure if the most difficult thing in that occasion was to save my life or to understand what they were saying. And I got from your um, set as well. You, the, the big takeaway for me was, was very satisfying as a non-scientist that glasses are solid. Thank you for that, because that's what my brain tells me. Yeah, that was probably my main mission. <laughs> well, it worked. It, it was deeply reassuring to me. Um, but I also, you mentioned you did that, that whole thing about custard and glass. Uh -huh. um, so that left me deeply, deeply curious. Um, you mentioned that you had, you had become a convert to custard. Tell me, how did this happen? How did you discover custard and what, what, okay. what, what, what was that moment like? Okay, so I was preparing my show, my eight minute show. Did it last even eight minutes? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. And essentially I was trying to see what could be a solid, a liquid becoming a solid and explaining the difference between this this material and glass, okay? So I bumped into a video of a, it was a professor in Plymouth working... Tim Rice, I looked it up after you told me. Yeah, <laughs> walk, walking onto custard. And that's, that could happen because it's a non-Newtonian liquid, which means it's a liquid, but when you apply a force on the surface, it, it suddenly becomes solid. Okay, there's yeah. a... Yeah, I watched a, that video, it's, it's a amazing. bit complicated, but yeah. as a result, you can walk on this as it was a solid, okay? Glass is, is a solid, like, is, there's no way you can define it as a, glass, as, a, as a liquid unless you're picky and you want to go where the, uh, to, to check where the atoms are. Then you say, okay, this looks like a liquid from an atomic point of view, but it's a solid. I mean, there's no way you can... You can flow it in a pipe, whilst with custard, maybe with special arrangements, you can. Yeah, I, I would recommend that video. It's very cool. I enjoyed <laughs> watching it. Yeah, same stands for um, uh, cornstarch in water. It, it works exactly the same. It's liquid, but when you touch it, it becomes solid. So, inquiring minds now must know, um, do you like custard? Oh yeah, it's probably one of my favourite British things. <laughs> Second just to Marmite. But Marmite, wow, okay, a convert to Marmite and custard, that's a massive cultural shift <laughs> So what was your what was your first custard experience? Had you met custard before you came to the UK or was it? Um, well, probably I knew custard with other names, but the first time I had custard was in the New Forest, I think. I had an um, afternoon where like a, bit, a lot of fat and I had custard and cream tea at the same time. 
And yeah, I regretted it the, after a couple of hours. Yes. <laughs> so that's that's um yeah. that's a lot of that's a lot of cream. <laughs> yes. Oh, well done. So you're now a complete convert to custard. Do you secretly get up in the middle of the night and make yourself custard? No, that no happens with marmite. <laughs> well, that marmite is your midnight snack. Then. <laughs> So yeah, then I moved to Southampton after realizing how glasses are important. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, it was scary. And, and, yeah, so I moved to Southampton, which it, which was very very nice because at least it's not raining or not that raining. <laughs> and well, the first day here something went wrong again because I, I studied chemistry in Edinburgh, okay? And I went to the Optoelectronics Research Center. Now, everyone knows what Optoelectronics is, right? Well, good for you because I have no idea. And I'm not joking, seriously. I went there at the very, uh, very famous ORC and everyone was talking about fibers, uh, electrons, photons and I was talking about molecules and drugs before, so you, maybe you don't see the gap, but it's actually quite big. But thank God, I got lost, but I had my backpack, uh, my lunchbox with me. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking there was past in there, and that's fucking racist. <laughs> uh, it is, guys. Uh, yeah. But, so, it, it, uh, one year passed, and I'm still feel, I still feel I'm, I'm not connecting with people. I feel like in an island, like Robinson Crusoe. You know the book? And my Man Friday is the glass I made. <laughs> I was thinking, again, coming back to that whole thing of being uh, an international student. Did you, I mean, obviously you've been surprised by your new passion for custard and Marmite, but are there any other... Um, surprises or stereotypes confirmed that you've had since moving and... and, and stereotypes from Italy to the UK? No, from the UK to Italy? When, you, when you got here, were you expecting particular things to, to, to be very um, British or have, have you found anything that you were expecting? Or? So, being in Scotland for a couple of years, you get the stereotype that everyone speaking with a British accent is posh. <laughs> so uh, probably that's it, it. It seems true because English people going up there are generally with a good job or for a good uh, there for a good reason. So I came here and everyone was speaking with a posh quotes and quotes accent. I was like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> I mean, are they all rich or something? But no. So that that's the first thing that was busted, so not all the English speakers with British accent are posh or rich, <laughs> so that, that's not true. That's an interesting stereotype, I hadn't expected that one. <laughs> uh, I also, I've been doing my research for this interview, so you mentioned in your set that you got lost in the Opto Electronics Research Centre, mm -hmm. um, so I went online, I looked at the pictures on the Southampton website, and to a non-scientist, it looks amazing because you've got all these big machines with shiny buttons and people dressed in blue onesies and there was even a machine with a big red button which I would just be so tempted to push. So is it really like that? 
do you, is is that what you do every day, or, or are there boring bits when you're just sitting at a computer? Um, let's say it really depends on your research. So that our research center is so big that you can find people doing very different things. In my case, for example, I use none of those machines ever. Oh. Okay. <laughs> because those machines are actually used by people making nanomaterials or films, whilst I work with bunches of glass. And so you don't have to wear a big blue onesie every day. I do because my oh, fern my furnace is in that area. So whenever I want to use the furnace I need to dress up like them. But I don't push big red buttons or something. Oh like that. <laughs> that's that's a major disappointment to me. Uh, yeah. But at least you get to wear the big blue onesie. Yeah, um bear in mind the big red button is the emergency button, so you don't want to press it ever. <laughs> See, that, that's probably why I'm not a scientist, because I would just never be able to overcome the temptation to press that button. When there is an emergency, you want the button to be as big as possible so that everyone can push it, so that's why. That would explain big. the big shiny red button. But I'm deeply disappointed that you don't get to push it very regularly. <laughs> um, so, I guess the um, the next question then is, so... How did you get lost in this um, area? Is that, is that true? Is that your first day? You I, just sort of wandered in and, and, and got completely and utterly lost in there? I got lost in the campus, yes, because I wasn't... Let's say Italian universities are not campus universities in general. So you get buildings around the city. So whenever you go, want to go to the physics building, let's say, you just go in town where the physics building is. But came, I, it happened just the same in Edinburgh. I, the first day of my Erasmus, I got lost in campus <laughs> because I didn't know where to go. And on top of this, here the buildings don't have physics or optoelectronic research center big, written big on the, on the front. There's building 53, building 5, building 41, and, and I didn't know what building that I, should, I was meant to go to. So that's why I got tossed. I know. I, I've been up there and, and, and they've just got the numbers on there. And they're not even in order. They're just yeah, random. Yeah, they're random. Although you should have been happy with that. It was random. So. Yeah, the first day was a bit hard. Now it's not. <laughs> but it can be confusing. So what are glasses? Let's get to serious things. So glasses for a chemist are defined as amorphous solids, where amorphous means that the atoms are arranged in a random order over the space. Everyone follows me so far? Okay, as a consequence, since the arrangement is random, the, dista the distance between atoms is random, and therefore the angle between bonds is random. Okay, you understand nothing, I'm sure. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's the very interesting, uh, that's the very interesting thing that make um, glasses very hard to study because in, out of a random thing, it's very hard to have clear data, okay? So in general, scientists think of glasses that they're very interesting, plenty of good things to see, but they, they don't want to study it. And that reminds me of my, teen, my teenagehood when I heard a lot of times, you're a very interesting guy, but I'd rather be friends with you. <laughs> 
And you, now that you're you're safely in there, in your bleak blue onesie, which I'm just loving this image. Sorry, I can't help it. You can come and try. <laughs> you can come and try. Absolutely, we accept visitors. Um, and so, what's your what's your um, and your and your and your with your with your glass? Um, what's your your plan then for for this? So I guess you're sort of what halfway through your PhD. Are you? Yeah, approaching the end of the second year. Yes, so a bit more than halfway through, fortunately. So the, with your what in in terms of your question that you're asking, what's your what's the direction you're you're moving in with your with your so research? So at the moment, I'm trying to make a laser with my glass, which requires the glass to have special metals inside, which can actually absorb light and re-emit with different energy, and up arranging the glass with a particular setup, then you can get laser. I just love the idea that glass can be a laser. I just had no clue. Yeah, you know, <laughs> crystals. Generally, um, the way we make lasers now is with crystals. There are not many glasses that can be used to build a laser, but if you don't try, you'd never know. So, so what do you think will be different about this laser? What purpose will that then have for...? So the, the main feature of the glass I'm making is, is that it transmits light in the infrared. So the infrared region is a region of the spectrum we can't see. And that's, a, that's one of the reasons why um, lasers that can work in this region of the spectrum are w widely re uh, researched and well demanded because there are many applications, especially in medicine for for, sur for surgeons doctors in general oh, right. that require those kind of light this kind of light so. so is that the sort of light that can sort of look through us and see what's inside that us or is, is that x-rays yeah that's x-rays so, so yeah. talking to a non-scientist you need to explain this stuff but for example now dentists use infrared light to cure ca cavi cavities oh really yeah. so they just or um, another um, so when the optician wants to fix your retina, use an uh, infrared laser. Oh, is that what that does? See, I didn't know that. Those That's so cool. Yeah, and there are even more, um, even more applications, just there are not enough lasers up there. So, so you're going to add to that sort of laser array? I hope it will work in the first place, in the lab. Yeah. Then scaling up the, the technology will be a challenge, but we'll see. You're on track. Excellent. So yeah, back to the structure. Okay, this random structure is called liquid-like. And this is the reason why glass has got such a inter interesting characteristics like being transparent in visible light, ultraviolet, or inf uh, infrared. But also the mechanical properties, guys, are very, very interesting because we can make glasses as big as a window or as thin as a human hair for optical fibers, okay? But, wait a second, I said glass, uh, liquid-like. So everyone knows that glass is a liquid, right? Yeah. Everyone heard it. Wrong. What you had in your glass was liquid, but a glass is not liquid. So, as for, so for tonight, those who are not scientists are justified because of, well, Glass scientists are a very small community, but every time I hear a scientist of any kind saying, 
well, uh, glass is a liquid. Well, I wish I was in that island, guys, for real. <laughs> and so I think about how can I explain what, why a glass is not a slow-moving liquid? So I thought about this. So I took my best, my most favorite British thing, custard, okay? <laughs> well, think about it. Custard is not solid, not liquid. We don't know what it is, okay? <laughs> It is something, but we don't know what it is, okay? And it moves Wait. pretty slow. And, well, I thought, uh, actually, I saw a video of a professor in Plymouth walking on custard, so I, I suggest to, to watch it. Um, so I thought, what's the difference between custard and glass? Well, with custard, you can get a pie in the face if you're a normal person, but with glass, you can if you are Chuck Norris or Scottish. <laughs> Coming back into the, the Bright Club thing, mm -hmm. how did you how did you get to know about Bright Club? Was it you sort of said woke up one morning and said, I want to do a comedy set about my research, who should I talk to? Or did how how did it happen? Okay, it did it, I didn't really wake up and say, oh yeah, I want to do Bright Club, it didn't work like that. So, again, I'm a very curious person, as I said at the beginning, and I really like to challenge myself every day. So, my, I, f I feel my main weaknesses are, as a person of course, are my English, which is understandable now, but it wasn't in the past, I had to work hard for it, and also my capability to speak in public. And Bright Bright actually gives you this opportunity, combining with a, sh a show. I've never been able to act, not even when I was a kid, not even when I was Pinocchio. Like <laughs> no, no, I couldn't do it. So that was a big step for me. And essentially, this is why, because it was a challenge, and I felt I had to. This was the right chance, the right way to over get over it. So you, you you didn't. It wasn't hard enough that you were trying to do this in another language. But, and also in front of an audience, and go also make them laugh. Home, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting, I'm getting the feeling you just don't like things made easy for you. <laughs> no, in general, if it is easy, it's quick, right? So <laughs> you get bored easily. <laughs> yeah. yeah, generally, yes. So, would you do it again? Would you? Is, is that now something that you you enjoyed doing? Would you have another go? Uh I definitely would like to. I had to um, prioritize to work and PhD life in the last four or five months. But if we get slightly, uh, let's say, calmer, like slightly more quiet, then definitely yes. It's a, it was a very good experience. Uh, with taught me a lot about myself and how I should approach people, how I should do public speaking, which is quite important for a researcher. So yeah, why not? So you really got something out of it then that you... you yeah, absolutely, yeah. yes. Oh, that's so cool. And um, did you find it hard when you were thinking about it to come up with the, the, the jokes or were they just sort of there and you just like, uh, I, I just need to figure out a way to, to communicate, to find the funny? It, it wasn't easy. And fortunately, my girlfriend helped me with it. Um, I wasn't too worried about being funny or not because I'm not 
I, they didn't expect me to be too funny and they didn't expect me to be a professional comedian, right? So I, what I cared the most was, does it make sense? Is it logical with what I just said before? Is it consistent throughout the, the show? Then it worked. Then if it was funny, well, I, you know, I, I know you, English pe British people in general likes to bash on uh, Scottish people and Welsh, <laughs> so that was quite easy. And yeah, the others just came came on by themselves. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed the set, and um, and it is that 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 feeling that buzz you get when you realise that the audience actually is really welcoming and happy to see you and, and like you said you you know that they're not expecting a professional comedian so you know you've got that sort of warmth coming towards you that, that's probably the best part uh, people didn't seem to to have too many expectations they just wanted to have fun so whatever came along was fine of course if I said something not exactly politically correct that could have been a problem but in the in, I felt the whole environment quite friendly, so even though maybe it was not the best show or the most funny show, it was still fine. I think it was pretty funny, I laughed. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so that's almost all I have to say about classes, really. So let's wrap up and say what we learned tonight. So, number one, did I have pasta in my lunchbox the first day of my PhD? Come on, guys. Of course. Of course. Second thing. Uh, glasses are solid. And I, I hope now it's clear. Uh, um, so glasses are solid and are amorphous, which means random structure. Okay? And, well, I hope now it is crystal clear. Thank you. Is there um, a plan to go and, um, you know, now that you've got your public speaking um, hat on, are you, okay. have you got plans to I go I can answer this question, provided that my supervisor doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> so my plan in the future is trying to work in academia and possibly going to a place where I can learn a third language. So I've got a few places in mind, mostly francophone uh, regions. Watch out for that, you'll end up translating the wrong language to the wrong people. It's already happening, <laughs> it's already happening, so... Yeah, I that, found that trying to get French and Norwegian and English to sit in my head all at the same time doesn't work very well. So I've got sp Spanish and Mexican friends, so I can understand what they say, I can't promptly, promptly answer, but I ended up more than often. Uh, speaking in Italian with them because I want to reply right away and Spanish is very is very close or the, on the contrary I end I end up speaking Italian to English people assuming they they can understand so it, it's, it's a mess it's, I know. it's weird because your, your your head is telling you oh this is the moment where I need to be speaking another language but sometimes your head delivers the wrong other language so you're talking to somebody French and you say something in Norwegian or you're talking to a Norwegian you say something in French or in your case say something in, in Spanish to an English person <laughs> and it's yeah. it's like your your head's like well I'm delivering a foreign language which is just yeah. the wrong one. <laughs> the, the brain is a weird creature <laughs> well yeah um yeah so back to the question I think I'll try to move to a place where 
I can grow even more as a person and trying to be a researcher. We'll see, we'll see what comes up. And get more lasers and more, more exciting random glass. <laughs> or even changing field, I wouldn't mind. I mean, it's always a journey of discovery, so I don't, I don't really mind. So I'm getting this thing about you, that every time you find something, you, you've got the hang of something, you're just like, what's the most difficult thing I could do? Oh, I'll change field <laughs> yeah, and do most, it in another yeah, language. <laughs> yeah, it kind of works like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, that's actually all my, my, my questions out, but did you have anything you wanted to add to say about Bright Club um, or...? All I, all I can say is that Bright Club is um, very good, has been a very good experience and I advise every researcher, even not necessarily students, to do it for the simple reason that it's probably the best way to have a, let's say, have a night out, having fun, but at the same time getting people interested to what, you know, on what, uh, what you do. So, yeah. In my opinion, everyone should try. Thank right. you, thank, thank you, you, Andrea, for oh, a you really for interesting time. talk. And I've learned even more about random, amorphous, liquid-like substances, which is fun. <laughs> if it's fun for you, then fun for me. <laughs> Hello again. Thank you for listening all the way through. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and thanks again, of course, to Nick and Andrea. Um, and uh, particularly Nick for hosting us at Solent University again. So immediately after we'd finished recording, I'd packed up my equipment, put away my laptop. Um, Nick started telling Andrea about how uh, people used to make glass for windows back in medieval times. And I thought, oh, I wish I had that on the podcast because uh, it's really fun seeing a historian and a glass scientist find some common ground where... Um, they can talk about techniques for the way people have made glass in the past and uh, and how that defines the size of windows in churches. I wouldn't be able to explain to you what Nick said um, because uh, I'm not very clever and I don't know anything. But um, oh, but it was, uh, it was it was cool to see and I just wanted to relay that to you that, um, yeah, we found a connection between a historian and a glass scientist and that was fun. Uh, I also always want to uh, use this section to uh, do a bit of plugging for uh, things that are coming up that we think are good and you should be interested in. Um, so one thing that I do want to tell you about is, uh, although I can't give you any details yet really, um, we are starting to plan our next Bright Club show. Um, it's been a little gap since the last one uh, because we had problems with our regular venue seeming to close down. Um, I don't know what's going on there now, but... Um, but we are planning our next show at the moment, um, moving venue, um, and uh, and changing the time of year that we're having shows. So, uh, but we have some performers lined up, and um, we're confident it's going to be a good one. So, uh, more details to come. Stay tuned. Also, uh, if you are listening to this in the week that it comes out, um, the week of the 26th of July this is coming out um, if you're listening to it just a few days after this at least uh, you might be able to get tickets to see our good friend Kyle Evans uh, the uh, folk guitarist, mathematician joke teller um, who performed at Bright Club a little while back he is going to have a show um, well he's, he's in the middle of doing previews but uh, he's taking a show out to Edinburgh uh, so we'd recommend you look for that but 
Um, in the meantime, he has a show this Sunday. Uh, he's doing a preview in Portsmouth. And uh, I would recommend you go along to see him because Carl's great and it's going to be a fun one. And, and I'll admit that uh, I'm also advertising that because I am going to be supporting Kyle doing 15 minutes at the start of that show. So um, I'm looking forward to that, um, both for myself, but also I'm looking forward to seeing Kyle. I've only seen him do the eight minutes for us, so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing an hour. I'd also recommend uh, you look up the Festival of the Spoken Nerd. Um, they are three mathsy, sciencey comedian people who um, are going to be on tour soon in the autumn, and uh, one of their stops is in Southampton. Their tickets sell fast. I don't know if their tickets are available at the moment. I assume there are, hopefully. Um, I hope so, because I haven't got my ticket yet, but uh, I would recommend you look that up. Um, Festival of the Spoken Nerd. Also, this weekend is uh, the Winchester Science Festival. Um, it starts this Friday and goes over the weekend. And uh, there are going to be lots of good talks and events and things on there. I know there are um, a couple of former Bright Club people uh, involved in doing stuff there. So um, Sadie Jones is giving a talk on Friday. Um, she performed at our last show. And uh, also, I believe, uh, Simon Watt, a former compare at our show, um, a brilliant comedian, he's going to be giving a talk there, I think. Uh, so I would recommend that. That's over this Friday, Saturday and Sunday. But their tickets also, they really sell out, so um, I, I assume there are some left, I hope there are some left, and I suggest you go and have a look for that quickly. Also, our friends um, at the Science Room are going to be doing something there, so uh, look out for them. And, uh, and again, actually, I'm going to be involved in that, so uh, say hi if you see me. I'm the tall, blonde guy. And uh, finally, just, um, yeah, find us on Facebook, Bright Club Southampton, and Twitter, and send us an email, brightclubsutton at gmail.com. Uh, get in touch, say hi, tell us if you want to perform, tell us if you want to join the committee and help improve the podcast, or do something on our website, or if you just want to take photos at our next event, or video edit, or any kinds of jobs like that, um... Yeah, it, it's fun doing stuff on the committee, but uh, we need a little bit more help. So we'd love you to come and join us and do some little job here and there. And, uh, yeah, that's all I am going to say now. Um, I'm going on holiday soon. Uh, so um, I need to get another one of these edited in time so that I don't have a break in the podcast release output stuff. Um so uh, hopefully you will hear from me again in two weeks. Um, yeah, I don't know what the date is in two weeks' time. Am I on holiday? Am I back? Who knows? Uh, ooh, yeah, I'll still be on holiday. Hmm. Hopefully we can uh, still put out a podcast. Um, anyway, enough of my waffle. I love you. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>